Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today we're going to look at one of my personal favorite passages in the Bible. And because it has been so formative for me, much of our church's vision and values reflects this passage. So I thought this would be a good time to show how our church is really built upon the foundation of Acts chapter 2. And, and this is so much the church I feel that we are called to be here in Princeton. Now, as I sat down to really dig into this passage again, I realized that I could preach a whole sermon series on just these five short verses. And so what I want to do is just focus and highlight on a couple of them today so we're not here all day on this beautiful, uh, not so beautiful in New Jersey Memorial Day weekend. Now, what's so important for us to remember about this passage is that we are dealing with something that is a response. This is a response to the outpouring of the Spirit, a response to God's grace. A response, as Peter talks about, to what Jesus has done. He says in his sermon in earlier in Acts 2, he says, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this one that you crucified. And so everything that happens here is a part of just people trying to figure out how do they reorient their lives to this story that they have heard and what they have witnessed as the Spirit of God has been poured out. And so they're responding not so much with a five-step plan for how to evangelize the Roman Empire, not that there's anything wrong with strategy, but they are responding with wondrous gratitude and they are yearning for more. They respond, as we'll see, by reorienting every aspect of their lives. Now, there's something easy here uh, because because there's no structures they're just like what do we do and then they start living into it but one thing i think we mistake this for and we often sometimes can distance ourselves from this kind of response by doing this we should not mistake this response like like the fervor of two young people in love you know that kind of obsession with one another as people reorient their entire lives to be with that person and we all kind of know it's not totally cynical that one way or another that's going to wear off right no luke depicts the first church in acts as laying foundational values and i think the churches are local churches are hyper local and it's so beautiful in the new testament that we have these different perspectives and lenses to see how the gospel was being lived out or how it needed to be corrected in these different localities. That's a beautiful thing. And we, as Ecclesia, are a church for Princeton, for Central Jersey. Our church would not be the same church if we were in Atlanta, Georgia, or if we were in Seattle, Washington. There's a contextual nature to church. It is shaped by the place. But what I think is going on in Acts chapter 2 is there are values that supersede locality. This is who God is calling us to be as his body in the world. And so this is not just some hyper exuberant response by the earliest church and, you know, soon it fades and it wanes. No, that's not what's going on here. Luke is giving us a vision for what it means 
to be the people of God in every place and at all times. And so, as we begin, I simply want to remind us all that we are about to encounter is response. God's grace has been shown in giving of Jesus on the cross, in His resurrection, as we see at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, in His ascension. He's pouring out His Spirit as Peter will quote from Joel 2, upon all flesh. And the question that forms the turning point in Acts 2 is, what should we do? How do we respond? And Peter tells the people there, he says, repent. Change your thinking, change your life, change your direction, and be baptized. Which is simply to say, receive the gift, the resurrected life that Jesus has for every one of us. Receive the salvation story for yourselves. So let's look at the text that Derek read for us. And my goodness, just the earlier part of this worship with Lauren and Sean singing the blessing and Kate. Uh, we are so blessed with these musicians. I, I'm just so grateful to be following them today. But let's look in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Now, I want to highlight two of our values here at Ecclesia to show how these values intersect with the life of the earliest church. And my hope, my hope during this whole series, my hope for today is that your imagination is stirred, that you want more of what's happening here in Acts 2 to break out in our midst, and that we would welcome God's Spirit to renew us, to deepen our love for one another and for the world. First, Acts 2 verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now here at Ecclesia, one of our foundational values, the thing that we say over and over again, is that words create worlds. This evokes the creation of God in Genesis as He joyfully speaks and narrates the world into existence. This evokes the Word become flesh. That same creative spark that launched the world is the same Word that becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. John 1.14 tells us that the Word became flesh and moved into our midst and made His dwelling among us. The Word become flesh in Jesus. And this evokes as God's Word takes on its full embodied and relational character. And the word of the gospel, which immerses us in the world of new creation and writes us into this story. I mean, think about it. Have you ever had somebody encourage you in such a way that it opened up a whole new reality for you? Have you ever had somebody see something in you that you had never seen in yourself? Worlds, words create worlds. And now, we can think about the opposite. Many of us have experienced the damaging uh, sense of criticism or, or, or feeling like we're being judged or shamed. Words can also destroy worlds. But what we see in the gospel message is that simply telling the story carries immense power. Peter does this in Acts 2. He just tells what has happened and people respond. Now, as Ecclesia, we have always been a people of the Word. My, my hope, my task as your pastor is simply to help form within us as a people a shared and collective biblical imagination. To be a people who see the world through the story of Jesus and seek to have our part in it. The Greek word here for devoted means to persevere, to give constant attention to. I think about the wonderful Mary Oliver line that attention 
is the beginning of devotion. And for the first church, devotion to the apostles' teaching was paying attention to the word of God in their midst, giving it primary place, honoring it, seeking after it, wanting to know more. And they were trying to orient this Jesus story. They were trying to make sense of the world through the scriptures and through the way that the apostles were unpacking those scriptures. And for us, everything starts with the Word of God. It forms new realities in each one of us. It opens up new destinies. It calls us out to be a people on mission as we go and we try to obey and simply live out these words that God has so graciously bestowed upon us. Ecclesia, we are a people of the Word. A people called out by God. That's what Ecclesia means, called out ones. A people shaped by the story of salvation in Jesus, and a people who take our place in that story right here and right now where we live. Biblical scholar Justo Gonzalez says, Perseverance in study and learning must become one of the marks of the church if it is to be truly faithful and to be able to move from fear to joy. In Ecclesia, the beautiful thing about the Word of God is not just information. It's not just something that we're trying to get as much memorized as we can. There's, there's actually nothing wrong with that. The more that we have those stories within us, the more that we can recall. It's a little bit like playing music. For those of you who have ever learned, learned how to play a musical instrument, you know you don't get, just get to make it up as you go, but you learn scales. You learn how to play chords. You learn maybe a little bit of musical theory, and then... For those who really advance and keep playing, keep, uh, keep honing their skills, usually those people end up playing some sort of jazz. And jazz is sort of structured improvisation. It is a beauty that has a, as its backbone a foundation. And that's what we're trying to do in, in embracing and emerging into these stories. But for us as a people, we're not just seeking information. We want to be formed. We want to be formed, and the way that the Word of God forms us is by simple obedience. What has God asked of you? What's the last thing He asked you to do, and how do you just respond in joy and in obedience to what He might be calling you to? So, we are a people of the Word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We say words create worlds as we try to live this out in our time, in our place. Now it says they also devoted themselves to fellowship, to the table, and to the breaking of bread. And the thing that we say around here is that we meet Jesus around the table. They devoted themselves to the table. They persevered at the table. And there's really two tables in view here. The first table is the table of fellowship, the Greek word koinonia. Jesus came proclaiming not merely that people could go to heaven when they, uh, when they die, but that heaven had come near to earth and heaven had brought the promised end, the promised glory that everything will be okay in the end into the middle of time when everything is chaotic and mired in, in, in a sense of pain and suffering. Heaven is drawn near. And one of the primary ways that Jesus proclaimed and embodied this message was the people who he would sit down to meals with. And those who sought to detract from Jesus, those who were criticizing him, found easy material because Jesus was always eating with the wrong people. 
He would eat with societal outcasts, with the tax collectors in their day, with the prostitutes, and with this broader category called sinners. And in doing so, Jesus was giving us, as his church, what it would mean, a vision for what it would mean to be his body, his ecclesia in the world, the extension of his life to all the world. When Christians eat, as is envisioned here in Acts 2 with one another, and as will, as will be envisioned throughout the rest of the New Testament, when we eat with those who don't know Jesus as Lord, we enact a powerful sign that the last days are here, that there is a hope that breaks through all of our hopelessness, that there is a joy that breaks through all that would, would mire us in pity and self-doubt, that Jesus has drawn near. One of my favorite shows of all time was Anthony Bourdain's Without Reservations. And Bourdain would travel to places far and wide and eat and drink. And I gotta tell you, Bourdain was doing it right. You know, I don't know about you, but my primary interest when I'm visiting a new place is what are we going to eat and how awesome is it going to be? And the locations and the food were all fascinating. But what I found so deeply moving was Bourdain's way of conversation at the table. I, I think I loved Bourdain because he wasn't necessarily this inexhaustible extrovert, this person who always had to be the life of the party. I think he actually didn't really enjoy that. If you watch the last season of his show, uh, some of his friends kind of reflect upon that. He's actually quite guarded, reserved, and pretty cynical at times. But he cut through that cynicism by sharing meals and sharing stories, he humbly approached people and sought to understand a way that didn't impose upon others. And I think Anthony Bourdain, just you know, with all this complexity, was a vision for us as what it means to live as the people of God right here in Princeton. Think of the stories that are shared in a plate of food. This is the other thing I loved about Bourdain. He loved street food because he knew that it told the true story of a place. Ecclesia, when we sit down to the table, either with other Christians and we share life, or when we intentionally eat with those who do not know themselves as beloved of Jesus, they don't know Jesus as Lord, that same spirit that was poured out in Acts 2 is present at that meal. The spirit brings understanding so that we can hear one another, each in our own language. Now, I know some of the most powerful moments of truth in my own life, of the spirit breaking in, and frankly, of gratitude, have been at meals, meals with friends, meals with people I just met, but just the sense that God is present in our midst. And when we started Ecclesia, we had no idea what we were doing. We have a little bit more of an idea now, but we were just simply trying to gather people, trying to invite them into the story that we thought God was writing in our midst. And what better way to gather people than to serve something delicious? This gospel hospitality has opened up so many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. The foundation of our church is that we meet Jesus at the table. The table requires much in the way of preparation. You have to cook the food. You have to plan out the ingredients. You have to go get them. We have to make room at the table. I don't know about you, but when other people come to visit, we have to set up other tables because our family fills up our table. But all this work, 
All of this effort results in this beautiful ease and pace as we sit down and we look one another in the eye. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. This is what he's empowering us to do. And so much of what has been lost over the better part of the last year and a half has been these kinds of spaces, opening our homes, sharing our lives. And I'm telling you, Ecclesia, this is the greatest opportunity that we have to beat the church over the coming months to open up our lives again, to share our tables, to share our lives. There's going to be a revival of the table. And as Christians, the table is our birthright. This is the place where we thrive and we live because our Lord Jesus had such joy around the table and He did such meaningful relational teaching about the kingdom of God around the table. This is who we are. So I want to ask you the simple question, who are you going to eat with? Make a plan to share a meal with one friend, one couple, one family in our church. And listen here, if you're a family... Invite a single person to your table, not because they need your charity or because they're, they're lonely. Not because of that. No, because our defaults are to hang out with people that think, look, and in the great American way are in the same life stage as us. But that's not what church is. Jesus, in coming to us, in eating with the outcasts, is breaking down these societal walls. And when we share life across these different you know, barriers, these different class distinctions, whatever you want to call them, we hear other people's stories and we find that we have to have one another in order to be the body of Christ. Think about who Jesus ate with. He was so intentional about breaking down societal barriers. And when we do that as Christians... When we do that as the people of God, it is a sign to the world that the Spirit of God has been poured out. Something happens that piques their curiosity. The second table that's envisioned here. As it says, fellowship and the breaking of bread is the Eucharist table, the communion table. The table where Jesus reminds us who we are. We are His beloved. We receive His body broken for us. We receive His blood spilled on the cross, poured out for the sins of the world. We receive the life of Christ at the table. And then... We go in that same movement as we receive. We then go carrying the treasures of eternity, carrying the treasures of the gospel to the world. Just as Christ was blessed, broken, and given, He has blessed, broken, and given us to the world. The table is at once worship. It is fellowship with one another and with the divine who loves us. And it is commissioning, saying, go, go be my witnesses in the language of Acts 1 to the world. And look at the vision that this passage in Acts that we're reading today in Acts 2 is calling us to. It says in verse 44, All who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Willie James Jennings writes, Luke gives us a sight of a holy wind blowing through structured and settled ways of living and possessing and pulling things apart. 
people caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. Do you see that? Not only are they finally realizing with glad and sincere hearts, but they're daily saying, Lord, what is in my hands that you can use to further your kingdom? There's so, so much more that I want to say about this passage, and I will have that chance at different points. But Ecclesia, what I want for us desperately in this next season, as we are letting God have His way, yielding to His Spirit, I want us to allow the Spirit of God to blow through our lives again. I mean, just look at the joy. It's literally bursting at the seams in this scene. And Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this vision in Acts 2 is a glimpse of the way that heaven comes to earth. When we share our lives together, when we gather around the table, when we orient our lives around the story of God, we will begin seeing in Acts 3 how this shared life together begins to burst out into the streets. The lame are healed. Whole economies are turned upside down. This life of the church extravagantly and wondrously proclaims that Jesus is Lord, that His kingdom is near, it's healing, it's calling us to repentance, and it's enabling us to live the fully free life that God has for each one of us and to suffer with joy. But today I want to leave you with a vision. Only over the past several decades has the story of Shambon begin to come to light. Chimbon is a Huguenot settlement. Protestants who were driven out of Catholic areas of France in the 17th century, and it's located in France. And the people of Chambon, as they're described in a, a, p, a recent piece, says they were de deeply devout, and they studied the scriptures daily. They identified with the persecuted children of Israel, developed powerful narratives based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. You see what they're doing here? They're basing their entire lives off the scriptures. They've identified themselves with the people of Israel. They've lived a life of simple obedience around the Good Samaritan. And, and they, said that they said that faith without works is dead. And during World War II, Shambon became an epicenter. A haven for Jews from all over Europe fleeing the atrocities of Nazi Germany. Ordinary French farmers and shopkeepers risked their lives to rescue Jews from the Holocaust in the largest communal effort of its kind. Pierre Sauvage, a filmmaker who was born in Chambon to Jewish parents who, who sought haven there, says the church and its pastors sparked this, a, high, a highly conscious but silent conspiracy of good. I love that phrase so much a conspiracy of good to oppose Nazi policies. During the course of World War II, some 90,000 French Jews were deported and were murdered in German death camps, but not a single one came from Chambon. Not a single person was denounced in Chambon. One person who lives there, reflecting on the, the heritage of their town and the heritage of their faith, said, it was normal for us to help we have helped all the time in our past. This is who we are. We don't think of those we helped raise in the war as outsiders. They are part of our families. Ecclesia, we all have this deep impulse to save the world. 
to shield the vulnerable. We all want to think that in moments of historical crisis that we would be fearless, that we'd be courageous, that we would stand up and say no more. And these, all of these beautiful attributes, these shared sort of cultural aspirations we get from our Heavenly Father who gave of Himself to bring about our salvation, to save the world. But as we see in the church in Acts and as we see here at Chambon, the world changing simply starts with the life of the church together. Seeing the world with a scriptural imagination, being devoted to learning the Bible and doing what it says identifying and locating ourselves in the story, sharing the table and our stuff. None of this sounds particularly heroic, but this is the soil where the world is remade, where heaven, even in the midst of the worst horrors that earth can offer, meets us and draws near. And I love the end of this passage in Acts 2, verse 47. It says that they were praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And look at this. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And this forms the bookend of these passages. Acts 2 starts with the Lord pouring out His Spirit. And and people responding and reflecting on what does this mean. We see the church living together. They're meeting together in their homes. They're they're prioritizing the Word of God. They're sharing their lives together. And then it says at at the tail end that the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. All of this is encompassed and enveloped and immersed in the grace of God in His pursuit of people. And Ecclesia, out of the life and worship and fellowship of these people, the wider world takes notice. They're actually grateful for the church. It says they have the goodwill of all the people. And God is bringing lost daughters and sons home. Ecclesia, I don't know everything that's to come for for the next couple of months. What I know is that we are here. We have persevered. We have a mission from God to participate in His redemption of all things. To bear witness to the world that His love has been poured out on the cross. And that His resurrection, joy and power and freedom is available to every person. And I hope that as you hear that, the day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It just creates a stirring and a yearning that we want to be a a part of this movement where we share our own tables, our own conspiracy of good, the body of Jesus Christ in the world. Let us yield to the Spirit of God in our midst. Let us receive the joy of His life together and let us yearn for more and more Daughters and sons to be saved. Ecclesia, let us be a conspiracy of good together. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.